Branding and protecting your IP are, are, are at the absolute top of the list. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Daniel Bushes, the CEO and founder of the Built by Love Agency. All right, we are recording. Welcome to this week's episode of Business Power Hour. I'm Daniel Bushes, your host, and we have the guest, Charles Purdy, also known as Chip from Purdy and Bailey, which is a, a corporate law firm focusing on small businesses. And I hope I, I, I did you justice there, um, Chip, for the explanation. If you could just give, a, give an introduction of yourself and uh, what your law firm does. Well, thank you, Daniel. First of all, thank you for, uh, for allowing me the opportunity to be on your program. It's very much appreciated. Uh, basically, uh, Purdy & Bailey is a law firm that represents business owners, small business owners for the most part, uh, in both transactional matters, for example, drafting agreements, forming entities, that sort of thing, and also in litigation matters. Uh, so that's, uh, and we've been, we've been in business for, for, a, for a number of years. We've got well over 50 years of combined experience here with the lawyers in the office. So that's what we do. That's amazing. And um, full disclosure, um, I have um, done um, a lot of business with uh, Purdy and Bailey um, in my agency as we've, uh, as we've grown and needed uh, new agreements and contracts. And I've been incredibly pleased with your services and uh, the execution of the work that you guys um, have done. Uh, so um, I'm talking not only from um, someone that understands and appreciates the need of having, um, you know, a legal team that can guide you through from business transactions, uh, but also um, as, a, as a client of yours. And I think if you'll allow me, the, the first thing I kind of want to start with is, you know, being a, being a small business owner and having a, a growing business where, you know, you're, you're taking um, steps forward to have uh, better contracts and, and, a, and better legal protection for your, your framework of business and all the different things. It can get confusing really quickly. And there's a lot of things that if you're not a, an expert in the, the legal field that you can be exposed to. And so I kind of want to open this up as a, with a broad um, uh, brushstroke here, Chip, is where are some of the things that you see in your business where small business owners either are, are under uh, served and protected for legal needs or that they're trying to do things on their own that maybe they, they should at least have a consultation with a, a lawyer about? Well, a couple of things uh, come to mind, uh, Daniel, uh, right away. And I, I would say the first is, is what I would put under the general title of branding. Uh, in, in, today's, in today's world, uh, carving out a niche uh, for your company uh, that is going to be uh, something that you can propagate and, and advertise and develop into a brand is so important. Uh, and one of the things that I always advise uh, small companies to do, especially when they're starting out and they're selecting you know, a name, uh, they're, gonna, they're about to get a domain name, they're, uh, they're going to they're gonna start a website, is, is to really, you know, search all of the available search engines and go many, many pages deep to see if there's anybody out there uh, who might be using uh, a name or a branding 
uh, a branding methodology that, 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 that you plan to use. Uh, and in this regard, this, 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 the, the whole concept of branding is also closely related to the concept of, of trademarks. And uh, trademarks are, of course, a type of, of, uh, of, 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 of protection. It's a type of branding. Uh, and some folks think, some folks make a mistake and they think that, well, gosh, uh, I've come up with what I think is an original name. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hire a lawyer and I'm going to register this name as a trademark in Washington, D.C. I might also register it in the state where I'm located. And that's fine, but you also want to keep in mind that the way trademarks work is that whoever places the name, the, 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 the trade name, the trademark into commerce, commerce first uh, and can document that fact is going to be the owner of it. In other words, for example, if, uh, if you and I are using similar trade names and I started using mine before you did, even though you may register uh, your name as a registered trademark, if we go to court, I would win because, uh, because I've been using it longer. So uh, I, I, it's important for people to understand that while trademarks can be helpful, the registration of a trademark, what's really important is the, the, the critical element of, of, of when you place the name into, into commerce first. That's why I always say that if, if you identify uh, a name that you want to make your brand First of all, search it out long and hard to make sure that there's nobody else uh, in your industry using it, uh, and if and 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 document document your first use of it. Uh, typically, oftentimes that's the registration of a domain name that includes the trademark or setting up a website. I know a few people hand out business cards, but it's sometimes a good idea to get business cards because that's proof that you're at least using the name. So. Branding is critically important, and I think any enterprise, regardless of what you're doing, you know, people can't people can't can't purchase your products. They can't they can't they can't purchase your services unless they know who you are. And knowing who you are uh, is 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 all about branding. It's all about originality, and then protecting that brand. If uh, if you're if you're using your brand in commerce first. Uh, and especially if you followed up with not only using it first, but registering it as a trademark, which is not a bad idea. I'm not dissuading folks from doing that. But if you do that, it's very important to keep your eyes out. And if somebody else is suddenly uh, using or getting close to using your trademark, you want to make sure that you get a cease and desist letter out to them so that you can protect that, that to protect that brand. Uh, so, so branding, branding is it is it really the top of the list? Okay. Um, I, I, I'm not, Go go ahead, Daniel. I was going to say, and so um, uh, one of the things that comes up, so with branding now, also does that cover intellectual property or, or IP? Well, uh, it, 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 t, 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 it, I guess the answer to that is yes and no. I mean, really, when you put a trademark out there for the public to see, it, it's not really intellectual property at that point. It's not something that's secret and kept in-house. Intellectual property can certainly be related to branding, but really with IP, and, and this is this is another uh, another another issue that, that that of course is 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 first and foremost today as our society becomes more technological and and more developed, uh, especially in in this internet age. It's an interesting statistic, Daniel, is that uh, back in 1975, back in the Stone Age, it was uh, most of the companies had if you looked at their balance sheets about 80 to 90% of their assets uh, would, would be tangible assets, you know, brick and mortar equipment, 
bulldozers, tractors, trucks, and now it's completely turned around. If you look at most companies' balance sheets, uh, and this is not always the case, there are, of course, exceptions, but it, it's close to 80% of the assets are, are designated as intangible. And, of course, IP is an intangible asset. So uh, protecting IP is very, very important. And the main way to do it, I'm not a patent attorney, but we go out of our way to protect our clients' IP. And, for example, we always insist that if they're going to approach a third party about a business proposition that involves the disclosure of what might be considered, uh, you know, protected intellectual property, you always want to get 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 the other side before you start talking, before you start disclosing, to sign off on a non-disclosure agreement, sometimes referred to as an NDA. Uh, that way, that uh, if if you if you wind up in the course of the negotiations, whether they're fruitful or not fruitful, if you wind up disclosing some of your IP, uh, you would you would you would you would be able to prevent them uh, with court action, if necessary, from from exploiting that that IP if it's if it's in if it's in if 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 you've got an appropriate NDA. I would also say that with employees and anybody that has access mm-hmm. to your IP, anybody that has access to and, and keep in mind, IP is not necessarily, you know, the secret formula for Coca-Cola that they keep in a vault in Atlanta. IP can be your customer list. It can be, uh, it can, it can also relate to your your financing. Uh, it can relate to the identity of of your employees. Uh, there, there's a number of there's a number of of pieces of information that can be proprietary to a company. Uh, in, in addition to the NDAs, of course, it's very important that employees. Uh, independent contractors, people that might be coming into contact with that IP, it's important that they sign off on on what you might call a trade secret agreement or acknowledgement, so that so that you don't have to worry about about them taking that uh, taking that IP and developing it elsewhere. We, we always want to keep in mind that uh, covenants not to compete. In other words, if you have an employee, certainly in the state of California. Uh, it's very difficult to restrict that employee from seeking out other job opportunities, even with competitors, after that employee leaves your firm. But one of the ways that you can restrict what that employee, former employee, can do or not do is if, is if you have a, a, an, an enforceable trade secret agreement in place. Uh, ah. That can be very helpful when it comes to limiting the ability of that employee to go elsewhere. You can't stop them from going elsewhere and working for somebody else, even a competitor, but you can you you can by court action if necessary if you have an appropriate trade secrets agreement stop them from uh, stop them from 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 exploiting your trade secrets. Uh, oftentimes, of course, trade secrets are are, are are you know computer code. I mean, there's just there's I mean uh, secret recipes for a Bernays sauce at a restaurant. I mean, it can be just about anything. So, gotcha. so I would say that branding branding and protecting your IP. Are, are are at the absolute top of the list, and um, this it, I, this is really really helpful. I, I'm sure not only just for myself but anyone that's listening, because you know the the non compete clause is something that a lot of you know small business owners talk about. Of you know, hey, I'm going to come in. I'm going to I'm going to you know train this person, and they're going to have access to the way we do things and all this stuff, and then. How do we know they're not going to leave and go compete against us or, or go work for the competitor? And so um, this has been really, really valuable for the information you're providing everyone. My, my question is this is, you know, when you're stepping into the world that you're going to start to hire 
whether it's contractors or part-time employees or full-time employees, that opens a whole other bag of worms. And I don't think we'd have time to go through all of that today, but um, what are some of the things that, you know, if you're going to start to hire staff that you need to be looking at, and I know you're not an HR professional, so we're not going to, I don't want to cover the HR areas, but just from the, the legal things and you brought up the trade secret agreement. Is there anything else that if you start to hire people, um, what, what a, a business owner should really be looking at? Yes. Yes. Well, one, one of, one of the other, uh, you know, we talked about uh, non-disclosure agreements. We've talked a little bit about a trade secret agreement, but another, uh, another, uh, type of agreement. And sometimes this, uh, this agreement is really more of a provision that may be included in an employment agreement or a trade secret agreement, but you always want to have what you'd call a work for hire mandate. I mean, a work for hire mandate basically means that, uh, that you know, if 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 you're working, if, if you're going to work, if you're going to work for this particular company, and during the course of your employment, uh, you come up with a great idea uh, that falls within the business of what your employer is doing, then your employer is going to own that idea. Uh, for example, the most famous work for hire provisions are in agreements that, uh, for example, uh, cartoon drafters for Disney would have. Uh, if, if, if they're, if even, even if they're not on the job, if they're at home and they're coming up with a great cartoon character, uh, uh, one of the mandates of the work for hire agreement is that that's, that would be Disney's property. Okay. Even though you're not doing it on the job, but in other words, a work for hire provision can be very, very broad and very, very effective in making sure that, uh, whatever, whatever, uh, an employee, uh, or, or, or you know, whatever an employee might develop, intellectually from the standpoint of IP, you know, new IP for your company, you want to make sure that your company owns that and that the employee can't take it elsewhere and exploit it. And you do that with, with, with what's, with what's typically referred to as a work for hire. In other words, whatever work you do while you're hired, that's, that's our work. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, that's very, very helpful. Um, I, I don't want to open too much of a bag of worms here because I know this is uh, this is like a, at least for for the conversations I have a lot of people ask should I be uh, an S class corporation a C class corporation uh, an LLP an LLC and I know there's a lot of different things that um, from an accounting perspective that we we won't cover discuss but. Just from like a, you know a broad stroke of having an open discussion about you know if you're if you're generating under a million dollars for example and where may they want to play in and I'm not saying you're giving them legal advice right because every case is unique but overall is there is there like somewhere where you would try to guide someone um, without knowing of course just having you and I having a discussion. Well, I, I think uh, I, I, I think as a as a general rule, most most companies that that we form uh, are, are are limited liability companies, and uh, uh, S corps can be very useful under certain circumstances. But we like the limited liability model because it has a great deal more flexibility. Okay. Uh, for example, with an S corp, you know you can't have another LLC or another corporation as a shareholder. 
Whereas, uh, whereas in, L- in an LLC, I mean, you can have persons, you can have other entities as, as members. We want to keep in mind that corporations have shareholders and partnerships have partners. LLCs have members. In other words, if you have an equity interest in an LLC, you're typically referred to as a member. And um, you have flexibility from the standpoint of uh, typically with an S corp, you're only allowed to have one class of stock. So, so, so for example, if, uh, uh, you know, if, if you have, if you have somebody who's bringing in, you know, 80% of the money uh, and uh, they want 80% of the shares, uh, that person providing 80% of the money is going to be in absolute control. Well, a lot of times when you have a small venture, you'll have one person who's the idea person and another person who's the money person. And uh, uh, e- even though you may have one person providing all of the capital, uh, you, you, you can structure an LLC and you would do this in, in what's called the LLC's operating agreement. But you, you, cannot, you, you, you can identify that, in other words, you can set the percentages really any way you want, okay? Uh, even if you have somebody who might be putting in 90% of the money, that doesn't mean they necessarily are going to get 90% of the outstanding equity interest. You could give them 20% and have the guy who's not putting any money in, but perhaps contributing his idea, uh, he could, uh, he can, he can, can go ahead and, 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 and take more than 50%, for example, to retake, to regain control. We always want to keep in mind that whenever, whenever anyone is, is considering forming an entity, and whenever that entity is going to have more than one principle, um, it's, you know, we all know what makes good neighbors, what makes good neighbors are good fences and what makes good legal relations are, 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 are understandings up front, hopefully documented that lay out what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. I always like to say that preventative maintenance always beats crisis management. In any event, one of the, one of the, one of the key issues that I think, uh, e- even if, if, if somebody is working with a partner, uh, uh, and, and they're going into business, maybe there's three or four partners, you, you, want, you want to avoid an impasse. Uh, for example, if, if you have a corporation or an LLC and the ownership is split 50-50, uh, without, without some, 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 some smart thinking on the drafting end as to, you know, well, what happens when these guys disagree? Uh, do, you know, do, 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 is the only remedy going to be to go down and file an action for involuntary dissolution in superior court? I don't think so. You don't want to do that. Uh, so, so you want to build in a mechanism, whether it's an LLC or a corporation, a mechanism that, that allows for resolution of an impasse. And there are many ways to do that. Sometimes you might, you might have, uh, you might have an independent director. Okay. Who's the tiebreaker. That's one way to do it. Or you may lay out in the, uh, in the operating agreement, uh, you know, certain, certain issues. I mean, if it's a, if you're running a restaurant and it, it has to do with vendors and menu items, maybe, Maybe, maybe one person would have the controlling decision where if it has to do with leasing or finance matters, then somebody else would have, have, have the, the, the final say. So, so, so another, another area, another area that's critically important uh, when you're, when you're starting a venture and there are other partners involved is this idea of, of avoiding an impasse because there will be disagreements. It's the nature of life. Disagreement is in fact the spice of life. So, so, but but you want you want to be able to understand. Hey, if we do disagree, what mechanism? What 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 uh, what do we have in place that that is going to that is going to that is going to help resolve the impasse? That's that's very very important uh, uh, in any event. About, um, impasse and and disagreements and things like that. It makes me. Uh, and I'm sorry because I'm shifting gears on you. So um, I hope you're okay Please. with that. 
but it makes me think about um, transactional matters. So whether you're selling like a, a product or you're selling a service, there should be some kind of, you know, terms of service, right? Like, uh, you know, hey, um, we give you 30 days to return the product or your money back or, you know, no refunds, just whatever those kind of transactional fences or guidelines are. Um, and everybody has a different one. Uh, are there any things that you can kind of talk about for, for that? And again, I'm, I'm kind of talking very broadly here, but I feel that that's one of the things, especially in business that people don't seem to really update or, or, or pay any attention to is what happens if the, what are the guidelines for someone buying your product or your service? Well, that, 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 that's always critically important and you should be as detailed uh, as possible, especially when it comes to such things as, you know, product returns, product refunds and that sort of thing. I, I would also say though, that in the more, uh, you know, under the more general topic of dispute resolution, uh, we like to include in, in all of our agreements that we do for, for just about all of our clients uh, uh, it is, it is, it is a dispute resolution mandate that doesn't just say, well, uh, you know, if, if there's an argument, uh, you know, we're going to arbitration or if there's an argument, you know, we're going to litigate this in court. Uh, the way that we, we have a three tiered system that we suggest to people, uh, on the one hand, we always, uh, we always like the principles to meet face to face without lawyers present for purposes of attempting to resolve the dispute before tens of thousands of dollars are spent, uh, uh, you know, trying to fight it out. And then if, if that, if that informal attempt at resolution is not successful, then, uh, the next, the next layer would be, would be to have a mediation with lawyers present in front of a competent retired judge or experienced attorney for purposes of, of, of seeking resolution. And of course, uh, if, if that fails, then 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 we would we would recommend either arbitration or possibly going to court. Arbitration is sometimes not the preferred method. Sometimes court court action is is is, is better. And I say that mainly because uh, uh, while I'm a big fan of uh, of arbitration, I'm not a complete fan of arbitration because arbit the decisions that arbitrators make are are, are, are it, 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 except in very very limited circumstances, really not reviewable by a higher court. Uh, when you do go to court, even though court is always a pain and it's expensive and everything else, the judges do try to get it right because if they don't get it right, uh, you know, there's you, you can appeal it. Now, appeals are tough. OK, but at least you have at least you have that avenue. So dispute resolution is very, very important. And, you know, if something goes wrong. What's going to happen next? So so uh, so that's that's very important. And I would also suggest that. A lot of times people on their websites, they may have terms of service that, gosh, they put the website up five, seven, 10, 12 years ago. And while they've been enhancing it and changing the artwork and whatnot, they never really revisit the terms of service. It's very important to do that and keep them updated. Okay. Very, very important. And with, what, what, imagine, what, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, did you want to finish what you were going to say? Well, 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 I, well, the other thing that I was going to say, and, and, and this sort of relates, you know, we were talking earlier about impasse and the problems that, and of course, impasse is not really a problem that you would have with a third party dispute that would fall more within the lines of the dispute resolution 
process that we just discussed. But but where you were, but but impasse is a problem. You know, when you're with your partner or your partners, and 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 and, and you you want to make sure that. And we, we sort of talked about this, the fact that you, you, you want to have, have, a, have a way out of that. The, the other thing that, that, that is important that, and that's is sort of related is that I think that whenever anybody starts a venture, even though we all want things to grow big and grow fast and grow forever, the fact of the matter is all good things do come to an end. So I think it's important up front for, for, for people to understand, you know, exit strategy. I mean, what are we going to do uh, if this is really successful down the road? What are we going to do if this is not successful and we're really struggling within six months or a year or a year and a half? Uh, and also I, I, along the same lines of exit strategy is, 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 is what's going to happen if, you know, knock on wood here, if somebody passes away, what's going to happen if you have a, 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 a co-member or a co-shareholder that becomes totally disabled, um, what, what are you going to do if, 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 a, if a co-shareholder or co-member in an LLC or co-partner in a partnership uh, is going through divorce proceedings or if they're going to file bankruptcy? I mean, how, does that, how is that going to affect the venture? Okay, hmm, okay. So, 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 so exit strategy is, is also a very important uh, a very, a very important uh, aspect, I think, with, with any small business, especially one that wants to grow. That's, that's really valuable because I know that exit strategy gets thrown around a lot, especially in the world of, you know, venture capital and startups. And, you know, I think people are thinking ex exit strategies of I'm going to, you know, build, you know, an app or I'm going to have the next Instagram or whatever, and then I'm going to sell it for a billion dollars. And, you know, that's my exit strategies. I'm going to sell it. But what you're talking about is covering a much broader stroke of, yeah, you, you can sell your company, but also what happens if you, you have a, a partner in the business that needs to exit or leave, or what happens if something else goes wrong? Uh, and so that's, that's a great thing to think about um, that I think a lot of people probably aren't thinking about if they're not trying to sell the next app or software they're just trying to build a business. What, you know, what are all the deciding factors that may not have to do with just selling your business, right? Exactly. 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 Um, In other words, like I said, you, you, you could have somebody who maybe just wants to retire or somebody who wants to, you know, get off the grid for a while and, and really not be involved. I mean, how, how, how do you cash that person out or what, what's, what, what, what do you do? You know, to have, you never really know until you get there what you're going to do exactly, but at least to have some guidelines up front as to, as to how you would approach that uh, are, are, are very, very important. Uh, one other thing, Daniel, and uh, I, I wanted to mention, it's on a little bit of a different topic, but it's very, very important is that, is that one of the reasons we, of course, form LLCs for clients, one of the reasons we form corporations for clients, one of the reasons we form limited partnerships for clients is to insulate their uh, their 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 personal assets from uh, fr from anything that might go wrong with the venture. In other words, if 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 the if the venture is going to lose money, or if the venture is going to go bankrupt, or if there's going to be a problem, and it it sort of bites the dust, you don't want that to result in personal liability. And uh, you know you don't you don't want the 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 shareholders uh, in, in a corporation, the members in an LLC to be personally liable for obligations of the entity. And one of the things that bears on that issue is the concept of compliance. In other words, it's very important, even though it's kind of a pain that, 
I mean, if you're, if, if you're a Delaware corporation, a Nevada corporation, a California corporation, or LLC, wherever you are, th- there's always certain compliance requirements. For example, obviously, you've got to file federal and state tax returns. Uh, you know, in California, you have to file what's called on a regular basis a, a, a statement of information. Um, identifying who the principals are. Uh, it, it's very it's very important sometimes, you know, in, with some entities, with corporations, although this is, you know, sometimes you need to have annual meetings. Uh, the, the, you, the, there, there's a, there are certain ways that you need to manage the finances. You don't want to be paying personal bills with company, uh, 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 with company, company bank accounts, just like you don't want to be paying company bills with, 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 with personal monies, all of these things. In other words, if you don't treat your entity, your LLC, your corporation as a separate entity, you can't expect the rest of the world to treat it as a separate entity. And that can result in, uh, that can result in what we call alter ego liability. In other words, the shareholder, the member could become personally liable for a corporate or an LLC obligation unless, unless you're, you know, you're maintaining and and uh, you're maintaining the entity. In other words, that from the standpoint of compliance, it is uh, it is it is it is on track. So I think compliance is 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 very 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 important. Absolutely. Um, I know we're getting to the top of the hour, so um, I'll let you uh, tell us if we've got time for this. But and maybe it's just a very short conversation about um, the trend of privacy seems to be growing. And, you know, more and more laws are getting passed about privacy and, and how people's information is getting passed around, um, you know, with social networks and just, just everything in regards to opting into marketing lists and things like that. Is there, is there anything that you see, like, for the future, the trend of this? Is there anything that a, a business owner may want to contemplate uh, in that legal landscape of, of just privacy in general? Well, I think it's always good for any company to have a privacy policy. I think that uh, today uh, when anybody visits your website and uh, provides personal information, I mean, you should have a policy as to how that information is handled, uh, you know, what the company has done to minimize uh, hacking and intrusion by, 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 by third parties that have no business, business on the site. So it's, it's very, very important to have a privacy policy and to be upfront about you know, what, what you might be able to keep private, what you might not be able to keep private. It's also important to, to let them know, uh, you know, to whom you might pass on the information. For example, I have a number of clients that specialize in generating leads and then selling those leads to mortgage brokers or, or all sorts of different companies. And, and what, what, so, so if you've got a consumer that's, that's essentially providing information to your website, uh, and, and the consumer knows and the company knows that that information is going to be passed on to, to, to somebody else. Um, I, I think, I think, you know, the, 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 the consumer or the person providing the information has to know, or at least have the opportunity to learn based upon your privacy policy, you know, how that information is going to be handled, how it's going to be transmitted, how it's going to be protected or how it's not going to be protected so that, so that, so that the consumer knows what uh, you know? What, what what to expect or not expect uh, from the standpoint of, of 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 where that information is going to is going to flow. I also think again, it's very very important, and this kind of bounces back to to one of the topics we addressed earlier in our conversation, is is this idea of a trade secrets agreement. I mean, you want to make sure that if 
for example, if somebody is working for you and you're a lead generation company, you want to make sure that uh, if, if anybody leaves your company, and of course, you, you know, you can't prevent them from going to work for another lead generation company, but you should be able to prohibit them contractually with uh, subject to enforcement in court if necessary, be able to limit their ability to, to take any of that lead information or to take any information really generally, regardless of what, of what, of, of what it might be. So uh, what, what, one other aspect I was going to mention, just, I know we're kind of getting close to wrapping up, but it's, and this, and this maybe states the obvious, but it's very, very important for, especially for a new company to, to have uh, you know, we hear about business plans a lot, but, but, but to have a sensible business plan from the standpoint of finances, it's interesting how many people I see that have great ideas, but their budget falls short. They don't, they don't have the money to finish the job. They don't have the money to get to the milestone that they need to get to. So sometimes people have a tendency to sit in front of their computer and come up with a budget and pulling all these numbers out of the air. Uh, it, it, it's really important to focus, especially if you have a company that's not going to be generating cash flow right away. It's important to to allocate those resources in, in the most effective way possible and to make sure that you've got enough. You wouldn't want to raise a hundred thousand dollars from an investor and then find out, Oh gosh, you know, we needed $160,000. And of course the hundred thousand is already spent. So, so I, I think it's very, very important. I see a lot of people put together business plans that are pretty shoddy. The budgeting is shoddy. It's arbitrary. And then, and then they raise a little bit of money or they borrow a little bit of money to start the venture. And they realize, gosh, you know, this is going to cost a lot more than we thought. And it's still a wonderful and beautiful and great idea, but we're short on money. And so now we've got to go back and try and beg, borrow or steal. So I, I guess, I guess as a, as a, as a closing point, you know, putting all the legalities aside, make sure that, 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 that your, your, your plan of attack, your business plan, you know, how you're going to move forward, uh, that the budgeting is real so that, so that you don't get stuck in a pickle and not have, the money that you need to, to finish, you know, to get to the milestone that you need to get to where you're generating revenue. And essentially at that point, of course, hopefully the machine will, will carry itself. So, so be careful with, with planning, be careful with financial planning, make sure. And then by the same token, you don't want to, you don't want to get too much money either because sometimes you have to pay it back. Sometimes, you know, the more money you raise from an investor, the, you know, the bigger cut that investor is going to take. So, it's not, you, you don't want to say, well, gee, I, I'm going to need X. So I, I, you know, let's, uh, let's go out and raise three X. Well, if you really and truly are sure that what you need is X, you might get X in a little bit more, but that, that doesn't mean you go out and get three X or five X because getting funds that you really don't need, even though, you know, they always say, oh, I'd never turn down the money. But the fact of the matter is if you oversubscribe to the venture and you bring in too much money, that's not such a good thing either. Thank you. I agree. Um, and I would imagine in any business, just like a, a person would set goals every year, you know, goals, financial goals, objectives, things like that, or, you know, just like a, a person would go get a health checkup or go to a dentist, get their teeth cleaned, you know, twice a year. I would imagine that at least for your business, you should be consulting with an attorney once a year at minimum, just to to look through to make sure like are your terms of service updated are your agreements and contracts like all of the things that you know that that a business touches throughout 12 months that those things are are kept up and updated uh, would you agree that 
someone should at least have a consultation at least once a year just to make sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and they're protected? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that a consultation of that nature shouldn't take more than 20 to 30 minutes. But that's, again, back to preventive maintenance. That's absolutely a good idea. And with that being said, um, I know that we've covered a lot of ground here and we've talked a, a lot of different topics. If someone wants to find Purdy and Bailey, um, how would they go about to find you guys to, you know, have a website, phone number, and, and how could they schedule a consultation with someone from your team? Uh, they just go to Purdy.